This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Come on, sissy that pod. Let's get sickening. Are you a fan of the Emmy award-winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, sissy that pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right. Whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All Stars, Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play. everyone and welcome to the Film Network Ireland Rap Chat Podcast. This is brought to you with Wildcard Distribution, Film Equipment Store and Octavid.com. Today beside me we have uh, Remy who is co-host. And, Hi everybody. And uh, we're going to be talking to a man who has had his finger in many different pies in the Irish uh, film and television landscape. He's actually been involved in the three main continuing dramas in this country, as well as a number of different productions in the UK. Uh, he was, he's a writer and a script editor and a series producer on the likes of Red Rock, Rust and Rune and Fair City, as well as EastEnders. And he's work, written for Call the Midwife and a couple of shorter drama series um, on Brunthanus, which is on TG Carr and Stardust. Uh, Paul Walker, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hello there. Um, so how would you describe yourself in terms of the work that you do? Um, wherever I can get paid, really. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, it's, it's a weird thing because I, I started off as an actor and um, my, myself and my mate were out of work uh, and I'd never thought about writing. I'd kind of written in my bedroom when I was 17 or 18, but I'd never thought about it. And uh, we couldn't get work, so I said, look, I'll... I'll try to write a play for the two of us. And so I went off and I wrote, I wrote this play called The Tabloid Man, which was about um, two strangers who meet on uh, in a tube station. And uh, I got it together and we produced it. And it, it was quite successful, surprisingly enough. And we did a bit of touring with it. And um, then I kind of got involved with a, a production company and I I, I made a full-length uh stage show called Costa Lads, which was about four lads going on holidays in Spain in the early 80s. And uh, it was a comedy and it was loosely based around my adventures with my mates. So uh, and that was proved really popular as well. So that's I kind of fell into writing. I, I didn't have a an overall dream and I still don't have a plan. I know people have five year plans and everything like that. I have about a three month plan and how do I pay my bills <laughs> at the end of the day? And then I just move on and uh i've been lucky things things uh sort of come my way in a way not that they come my way like i do work for them but um this is such a small industry that you have to build up a 
a decent reputation. Like one of the things, say, for working on the likes of soaps or something like that is deadline, deadline, deadline. If, mm-hmm. if you can't hit a deadline, and you know this, Sean, I mean, we, we've worked together on Ross and and stuff. If you don't hit a deadline, it's, machine falls apart. It, it, it messes up yeah. so much stuff. So um, one of the things I would say to writers, look, write your own projects and let them take four or five years. But if you get a gig and you're told to have her in on Monday morning at 10 a.m., have her in on Monday morning at half nine. You know, it's the biggest thing I noticed in the business so far. Um, how long was it before you sort of let go of the acting or do you still act? No, I don't. Uh, the last thing I did was I... I I don't know if I gave up acting or acting gave up me. I can't, I can't really work that out. But the last, the last show, I, I hadn't acted in a while. And the last show I did was uh, with a, with a theatre company called uh, Aurora Bora Alice that, was, that used to be run by uh, Dennis Conway. Mm. And we did Richard III. And I had been out of the circuit, the acting circuit, but I still had the bug for about three years. So I auditioned for his company and I'd never done Shakespeare before and uh, I thought it'd be a huge challenge. So I said, right, I'll do it. And my audition went quite well and uh, they gave me the part. And that was the last show I did uh, on stage, which I don't know how long ago, 10, 12 years ago. And do you miss it? I did for a long while, but um, I was going to do, uh, I I worked very closely with uh, Carl Shields Address mm-hmm. him. He used to. Uh, my latter stage shows became sort of site specific shows, and he was my main director doing all that, and uh, my confidant as well. And we we used to work together all the time. So uh, I had written a, a one man show that I was going. We 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 opened a theater called uh, Theater Upstairs, which was opposite the the Abbey Theater with with a, a guy called uh, Andrew Cummins, who was a lighting guy, and. The first show, I said, right, I'll, I'll write a one-man. Um, it was called Decked. It was about a man who shoots himself on top of his roof by accident, and then we go into how he ended up on the roof. And uh, I was going to actually do it. But Carl being Carl said, well, let's see what you have first. <laughs> and I had actually lost my nerve. I'd lost... I I got I kind of did it. A shitty audition, really, of my own work. <laughs> and, um, and I kind of went, I don't fucking have it anymore. I don't have this anymore. So that was the moment I kind of said, mm. ah. I mean, if somebody said, come in and do a small part, yes, I'd love to do it because I really did enjoy it. I loved being an actor. I really did. But um, no, I've, I'm actually in love with writing now, like genuinely in love with writing. Do you think that your background in acting feeds into uh, the ability to write good dialogue? It's absolutely huge. I think um, you can kind of smell writers who come from, who have been actors before uh, in their writing. I I do a bit of work with the BBC Academy, kind of reading scripts for them and stuff. And you can tell these guys have either had acting experience or are actors. There's just a difference. There's a, a difference in the in the way they approach the character, even in their writing. It's it's really interesting. Well, an awful lot of stuff that I would read is is uh, the plots are excellent, the structures are excellent, uh, and you can't fault them. But they're losing that sort of that heart, you know. Mm-hmm. I I noticed that's a huge difference uh, between say working in England and 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 over here as well. Is 
and I, I've seen it in actors whenever I've seen shows in England, not, not every show, obviously. But Irish actors have this raw Celtic thing in them. And it's why I think Irish actors do so well internationally. They just have this rawness that's inbuilt in them. Maybe it's, maybe it's all the oppression we had over the years and, you know, we're getting rid of all our frustrations. But you really see it, you know, you really see it. And I think that's in the writing as well. Yeah, because I think like as someone who sometimes like I, if I'm reading a script, the thought that occurs to me most often is I don't need to say that or like this character has whatever three or four lines in this little block that actually I could do with only saying one or two of them. And you kind of leave the audience to fill in the gap or even just kind of tell the rest of the story that the writer wants to tell, not through the lines. Yeah. Because I think that, I don't know, there seems to be, and like, not a lot of writers fully understand what an actor can do. Yeah. In terms mm-hmm. of, I'd, I'd, but I think that's, it's a double, because I've noticed the change in, in, in writing, particularly for television, of the, particularly in the last five years. Um, we were always very dialogue heavy over here. And so we're in England, and it's basically because we came from a radio culture. Uh, but the way the Americans have have changed the face of 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 television forever, and 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 some of the Europeans as well, is it's a visual medium. It's 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 now a hybrid of of cinema and television because of the production, the, the stuff you can get across. And I, I actually find it really hard to get a decent script editor. I'm terrible at self-editing. It's, I find it so hard to do. But finding a script editor who would rather see it in dialogue is, is phenomenal. But they haven't adjusted. Well, look, this is just my experience. But and and maybe some script editor will ring up and say, well, actually, I'm more into visual and I only want two lines in, in that scene. That's great. But I, 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 I don't think they have changed as much as the writers have changed. Like now it's about what is this scene about? How few lines can I get away with this scene? That's the way you're writing now. Well, before everything was in the dialogue and it, now it wouldn't be on the nose dialogue, but everything would go through the dialogue. Well, now there's an awful lot of visual attached to it as well, which I think is brilliant. I think this is the golden age of television. Do you think though that that means that we may eventually go into a verbal, non-verbal society if we're going that way? Where I, we're slowly getting rid of everything. I don't think line. so, because if you look at, um, like, there's still great, spe- I, it's like everything, you have to earn your silence. It's the same when you're an actor, you know, you have to earn that when you're writing, you have to earn those pauses, you have to, to earn those moments. But I think you have to earn those dialogue scenes. Um, one of the best uh, scripts I've, I've, I've ever seen, I haven't actually read the script, was, uh, I don't know if you saw The Haunting of Hill House. Did, did you see that one? It was on Netflix. Oh, yes. Oh, I yeah, haven't I did, seen yeah. it yet. It's yeah. a remake of the short story. Uh, is, it? is it a remake? I think no, it's a remake there's of There's two now. There's Haunting story. of Eli something Oh, yes. House. No, that's one That's based on, on the short story and, yeah. and the film. I can't remember the name of the film. But the first one was based on a book. Uh, uh, Mike Flanagan was, was the writer, director behind it. But his, it's actually, it's, it's a, ghost story but it's actually about a dysfunctional family as most best dramas are you know and their last episode is probably one of the most perfectly written episodes i've ever seen on screen and it's all dialogue so there are what i'm saying like it's a question of getting balance i mean if you just have silence and two lines in every scene you know 
it's that it's a question of getting the balance right. And I think in that that particular episode, he got the balance right. And the dialogue, the character dialogue in it is just superb. So language isn't dead yet. Oh, never. <laughs> no. <laughs> um so you mentioned script editors there. Uh how do you take notes? Badly. I, I'm not very good at I I'll take I, I think some, sometimes what happens is uh, producers put a put a, a script editor onto your onto your project, um, like it happened, for instance, with myself and and Tom Collins when we did Bruntonus, and we had we fell out about it uh, because the script editor came in and had didn't have the feel that we had for the series, so she was given notes, and I said, but this means the series has gone in a different direction than where we originally started. So I think you have to be like, like picking your actors, like picking your DOP, like picking the right director for the project. You have to pick the right script editor and a script editors should audition the way writers have to audition, the way um, actors have to audition. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and like, but say, for example, in the world of Red Rock or Rust and Fair City, mm. like, do you do you approach getting notes for those kind of productions in a different way to some to something like say for example Unbrontonus or Stardust? Yeah, if 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 you're a writer for hire on soap, you bring your own individuality to it to a certain extent, but you're part of a big machine, and you have to recognise you're part of a big machine, and you're not going to turn it into something that's you can't turn it into something that you want to see, you have to look at, well, what are you being brought in for? And you're being brought in to write a script that would fit in with all the other scripts. It's, it's kind of, it was a funny thing, like one of, one of the best gigs I've ever had was on Red Rock. Um, and it was such a huge experience. It was two years of, of, of just learning, learning, learning every day. And uh, like, for instance, we would get certain directors in and each director has their own style. But the really good directors managed to get their style in while keeping within the confines of, of the world of Red Rock and how Red Rock existed. And they started pushing this, pushing it out a bit. Can we not do this? Can we not do this? And that affected how the writers worked and it affected how the actors worked. And uh, it was one of the few shows, it, w- it was a very strange show in a really, really good way in that, uh, y- you know, when you're working for the likes of Ross Naroon or you're working for a fair city, um, the writers are very separate from, from what's happening on 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 the on the floor. Yeah, we were all in the same building. Now the writers would go off home and and write the stuff, but the the writers' room was upstairs. The the production office was here, the to the left, and that then the the studio area was about fifty yards away. So it became like I described it because it was hell for leather all the time. Every every day it was about. How are we going to get 16 pages done? How are we going to get 16 pages done? How are we going to, you know. 16 pages filmed. 16 pages filmed, yeah. It, like, it was, fri- it was frightening. It was scary. But as one cameraman used to say, I fucking love it, though. I'm not sitting around for ages. We just have to get up and do it, you know. And he loved it. He, he really loved it. And I think we all felt this sense of uh, pride behind it, kind of the, the little train that could, you know. So there's a touch of that about it. Like a family. Yeah, it was. It was a real family unit. But what was really interesting for me was um, as a writer, I hadn't been really down on the floor. 
and I ended up get, kind of getting this gig where I, I was liaising between the writer's room and, and the production because more like there were always going to have to be scenes that were cut out or or blocks of scenes that had to be because we just didn't have the time to to finish it and we'd okay. kind of work it out at the edit how we, how we finished it. So we needed to know what we could cut and what we couldn't cut. But it ended up I was spending an awful lot of time on, on the floor and just watching other creators. And by the floor, you mean like where they're filming, not like lying on the ground. <laughs> well, lying on the ground crying <laughs> before I went in. Uh, but you were on the floor with these guys at the top of their game, like at the top of their game and just watching them work, like from every, makeup, runners, uh, props, art design, camera, the DOP, the director. They they were really at the top of the guy. They were like fine-tuned athletes. Now, they didn't look like athletes, but they were like brain-wise, they were really, really fine-tuned. No, we'll do that, 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 and they'd switch things around. And So it was fantastic to watch that. And it really influenced how I write now. And so, okay, so for people who maybe don't know the inner workings of, of like a production like that, so you've mentioned that you're filming in, in the region of 16 pages per day. Yeah. But how do the scripts then get created before that oh sorry so yeah maybe bring us through the process of, of creating those scripts and like how it's kind of broken down so basically you'd have storyline writers which is the toughest job on a on a on a, a um on a soap because you're just churning out idea after idea after idea and i've done it i found it really really hard so they come up with storylines and they'd have uh, a couple of weeks to do these storylines for say 12 episodes and then they kind of refine them and they get them to a certain shape. And then the producers come in and basically tear them all apart and you start from scratch again. <laughs> That's what happens like nearly every time. They might like one story, but they'll throw four or five stories out. And you have to have about five stories going continuously with, with, with 12 episodes. So you'd rewrite them and then eventually you get sign off on the stories. They're happy enough with them. And then you bring the writers in and the writers go through the the, the storylines. And they also put, tear them apart. And they also tear them apart. <laughs> and I did have, like, we, we did have one thing. If you don't have an alternative suggestion, then keep your mouth shut. That's where we got to in. in. Yeah. How do so, you keep coming up with material when so much of it born, gets thrown out? You, you're born. You're born out. You, you just, uh, like, we had really t two really good uh, um Storyliners, lead story writers, um, Kieran and Damien, Damien Fox, and God, I can't remember Kieran's second name. They kill me. But uh, and then we had a few junior uh, writers coming in, and they were learning off the the two older guys. And but they were, you could see they were getting, I mean, six months, and you really need a break. Yeah. And so are are Kieran and Damien that scenario are they the ones that are kind of are they also coming up with with ideas but are they kind of maybe sometimes yeah. allowing the newer people in the room to present the ideas which they then mold into well, what decent you stories. What you do is kind of we'd sit down with the producers very early on say pre-season you'd sit down with the producers and we'd say look this is where we want this character to go this is where we want that character to go here are a few scenarios that we want to play around with and they'd say yeah go with those and then the lads would take those scenarios off and they'd start to build them. And uh, by the end of the Red Rock process, we were kind of working on more like an American writer system, which is which is slightly different. But uh, the younger writers were, were then coming in and uh, they were coming up with their ideas. They were seeing how the two lads worked and they were coming up with their ideas. And we'd, we'd, we'd 
sit around the table and we'd throw an awful lot of ideas around and put them up on a whiteboard as well. So mm. you always had different ideas happening, you know. And then, so the writers come in. So the writers come in and uh, they'll do basically a scene breakdown to see if it's holding structure, like a, a, a sort of a five-act, well, say a three-act structure, beginning, the middle, and an end, really. Um, is on their own individual episodes. On their own yeah. individual episodes. So they would have, uh, say, they would have 10 beats of, of one story. Say that's the A story. I can't remember the amount of beats now, but say they had 10 beats of the A story, then they'd have seven beats of, of the B story, four beats of the C story, and maybe two beats of the the uh, D story. And they'd have to start in a certain place and end in a certain place. Now, if they came up with a better scenario within within that that still meant the character ended up in the same place, then you'd say, great, go with that because you're feeding off their energy. Mm. They're keeping the same shape. They're more or less keeping the same story. Um, and they, they were usually the better episodes. And it's kind of a relay, isn't it? Like between from writer to writer within that block of 12 yeah. episodes. So yeah. like it's important that you're handing the bat on off at approximately the same point. Yeah. But if actually you bring it on a different journey to get there, as long as it doesn't change too many things before that episode or after that episode, yeah. it's, it's okay. So th before they would go to, to say doing their scene breakdowns, it'd be kind of a meeting with the producers, the, the story people and the writers. And we'd sit around the room, we'd read out the stories and we play around with ideas then. So nothing was too mad that the producers, what producers hate is getting a surprise. I learned that the hard way. They hate getting a surprise as well. We didn't ask for that. Mm -hmm. So you have to stay within the, in the story structure. Now, a few times we went off the wall and we, you just take it on the neck because we knew the episodes were going to be good and you just take it on the neck and the producers will either go, yeah, well, you shouldn't have done that, but I liked it. Or you shouldn't have done that. I didn't like, but I mean, that's, you have to do something to keep yourself going. <laughs> yeah. A lesson in being adaptable by the signs of it. Yeah. 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 I know how to read people and, and play yeah. people. And that just comes over experience. But they would come in into that room and, uh, and they would say, well, I was thinking of bringing this element in to my episode. And if the producers hated it, we'd say, look, there's no point because you're going to be fighting that from point one, you know, and it's going to, it's going to, no matter how, you, you could write genius and they're still going to say, well, I know, I, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. In. Mm -hmm. So there's no point. But if they say, yeah, let me see how it works, then we'd let the writer go off and, and, and see how it worked. So the writers uh, know where, where, where the characters are starting and where they're ending by that, by that big meeting. And then is it the same sort of setup as Russ and Rune, whereby the writers will then kind of write up a sort of a structure document without any dialogue describing the various beats of the episode and where they're going to yeah. happen and that kind of things before you get kind of sign off and the, then write the dialogue? There was at the start, but Red Rock kind of morphed into a different animal towards the end uh, because we wanted, we, we'd started off as a soap half hour soap but then the broadcaster wanted to turn it into an hour uh drama so that means you kind of and the train had already left the station <laughs> we were kind of doing 16 pages a day so well we want to change that a bit so there's a bit of there was a hiatus where we were kind of sticking two half episodes together and we, we sort of got away with it but then we started writing one hours properly uh well 45 minute minutes for a commercial station and um, it turned into a different animal. And we were finding that because it was one hour, that the, it's a different animal to try to write a one hour to a, to a half hour. It's just different. You're, you're, you have more time to develop the characters. 
but it takes longer to write, you know. So we're kind of getting a bit of a back backlog. And what I was saying earlier about deadlines weren't being hit because it was just hard for people who've been used to writing half hours to move up to that one hour. Yeah. So we we started to change the system where we went more with the American style system where basically the writers would come in and say we were then doing a block of uh, six hours. So we'd, we'd have six writers in and the story guys and uh, the series producer, the showrunner in my case, and um, we'd basically beat out every episode up on the up on the whiteboard. So everyone knew everyone knew what they were going away with. So they went they more or less went away with their beat sheet. After, and after you, we'd worked it out. And then you what everyone else was going with, away with as yeah, well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And everyone was inputting. Um, like, I had the option, uh, a great opportunity to go over. Screen Skills did it. And uh, with Des Doyle, I'm sure you've had Des in here. And uh, if you haven't, you should have. He's, he's a genius. On the list. Uh, he's really, really good because he's really involved in the American system. Uh, he knows how the American system works. And uh, he took us over to L.A., to see how the story rooms work in in LA on the big on the big mad money shows, which is great to see. Now the the story room actually works very similar to how we work over here, except you're not breaking any NDAs now by telling no, us. No, this, no, 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 no. Uh, so it kind of it, it it works the same way, except they they get lovely lunches, and <laughs> <laughs> nicer trainers. Yeah. But it's it's a very similar system. But the way they were so organic, and it's because. It was because the writers knew uh, the system and how the systems work. And we were only kind of starting off doing it with, with the Red Rock. And it's something actually myself and my producer, Jim um, O'Shocknessy, we're, we're, we're trying to develop that further. Hopefully next year we'll start on it. Um, they knew the system inside out. So they knew they had to give to other episodes because they the other writer would give to, to to them, yeah. um, so it was a real ensemble. It was, it was like ensemble acting, if you like. It was a real ensemble piece. Mm. I'll give to you, and everyone bouncing. So there's an or, uh, an organic nature then in the room. Yeah. And how long does that sort of that process of beating out uh, those kind of episodes take in the story room, and say in the American system? It's it's fairly quick. Um, I think they had. It all depends on the on the project. Like they could have been working on refining the 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 Bible and everything for maybe three to six months, but once they get the green light, once they get the green light, that's now the writers wouldn't be in then. It'd be the showrunner and the creator. They'd be working together to get some sort of shape on the season. But once they're given the green light, they're really working fast. Like they were turning over. There was one show. Uh, now we only hit the middle of it, so I don't know how long it was running for the uh, writer's room was running for but they had two more episodes to do um, and they were having trouble with, with one of the episodes so they broke it out in the room they you know they basically see what worked see what didn't work and then the woman who was writing it had to go off write that up and have her in for the next morning <laughs> the entire episode yeah I said, how, she, how did, did she make it? Yeah. She did? Yeah. Or, she didn't sleep. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I said, you can't see, you can't be serious. <laughs> says, yeah. Well, I know all the characters anyway, so I, and I know where we're going. Now, 
when I say it was really, really detailed, like it was nearly scene by scene, mm -hmm. but she still had to bring in all the humor and her own creativity into it. And she had 24 mm -hmm. hours to do it. Wow. And she was wrecked. I saw her the next day. She just worked through the night and she was wrecked. And they do say that, look, and I, I say it as well. Look, if, if you're going to be a freelance writer, forget about weekends. If you get a gig, you have to write through the weekend. You know, that's, you're not, you're not a Monday to Friday person. Yeah, if you um, don't make the deadline. If you don't make the deadline, you're gone. Yeah. You're dead in the water. Uh, and so what, um, how do you respond to rejection? In this like everyone else, absolutely terrible. I find it really, and it, do you know something? One minute you think you're a genius and the next you think you're such an idiot and you can't, like it's, that's even in the writing process anyway, but like if you have a good idea or a, a good, um, what you think is a good idea for a series and you've developed it and you love your characters and uh, you get an, a, a director or a producer on who kind of says, yeah, this will really, really work and you work hard on it and then you get it in and it's kind of, oh, it's not really for me. I don't really like that. No, no, no. It's tough. It's really tough. And you never get over it. It's like, you know, people always say, you just remember your bad reviews. And I don't know, it's in our psyche just to go, <laughs> yeah, I know that was a good review, but your one didn't like it. Though, you know? <laughs> so it's impossible. It's impossible. The only thing that I've noticed in the last couple of years that I've started to do is I really give my stuff out to people, even if it's only a pitch to get, say, Screen Ireland money to develop a, a film or something, you know. I give it out to people I can really, really trust who are going to be honest with me, even even if it's only a 10-pager. Say, look, I'm going to, before I give it to anyone else. And I used to do that, really. I used to think I was a genius and everything, I was going to get everything. But, you know, yeah. in the reality is you need to get feedback and you need to get feedback, not from people who are going to say, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. That's what you want to hear. But, you know, it's the person who says, yeah, I think it's there, but, the, you know, you're missing that or, um, that's not reading, bring that up, you know, and that's the type of person you need. Um, and I've done that now. I've only really, really started doing that in the last three years, I'd say. I'm, I'm still getting rejections. <laughs> <laughs> and how does uh, getting rejections inform your work, reading scripts for it's, the BBC? And I tell you, I, I only started doing the BBC thing this year. Um, and I started doing some mentoring as well. Uh, and I just finished doing some mentoring um, out in Dunleary. And what's really interesting is because they're two-hour lectures and you don't want to be talking for two hours, I've, I was given them exercises that I, I used to use, but I'd, I'd forgotten I used them. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting because I was going, I, I, I have a film that I'm, I'm working on at the moment and it's... It's never, like the idea is good, but it's never really sat well. And I actually started looking at the notes that I'd given to the students, kind of saying, oh, fuck, that's why. Yeah, I wonder if I change that. So it's actually been a benefit <laughs> to, to me. You know, it just makes you realize, don't forget the basic rules, you know. Yeah. Um, so I found it really interesting. I also f find reading scripts, you know why they're not being made which is which is a huge bonus and most of them it's because there's no inciting incident as they call it after the first 10 pages right like i will read the whole 
script because you have to give a synopsis afterwards. But you can tell within the first eight or nine pages if this script is going to work. It's, and I never thought it, thought it would be like that, but you really can. And do you find yourself trying to soften the blow when you're giving feedback, you know, having known what it yeah, feels I like still, to get it yourself? I still have that rule in my head. If I can't come up with a solution, then I shouldn't be criticising it. Because mm. my version of events is completely different to how you write or how you write. Like, we all have we all have different ways of writing. Like, the, there, was, um, there was one... I was doing some short films with... with um, uh, young writers down in Kilkenny and there was and they were all really good but there was one uh, particular short and it was called The Bear and uh, I kept on saying to the writer look she's your main character so you know we're not following her and we're not ending up with her and and, the, and she said no I wanted to be about this 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 and eventually I realised the girl wasn't the main character Actually, the teddy bear, and I should have known by the time, the teddy bear was the main character. And once I realized the teddy bear was the main character, she was actually doing everything right. So mm-hmm. my preconception said it was the girl was the lead. Yeah. I was wrong. And do you think that's informed by working in television and being very focused on main characters? Or do you think it's just the way you particularly approach that script? Oh, yeah, I th- I think it's kind of oh no, it has to I I got it into my head. Oh you know, well obviously the girl is the lead. You know, I that's how I got it into my head. And in actual fact, no, it wasn't. The teddy bear was the lead, and it's the teddy bear story. And I actually said it to her. I said I was wrong, and I think it's important you say when you're wrong. Um, so that's that's a a case in point where just because somebody says no. If everyone says, no, it's not working, then there's probably something wrong. But just because one person says, no, it's not working, that's why it's good to give it out to three or four people. If the other's going to say, yeah, I like this, maybe we could do this, this. If one person says, no, it's not working, then it doesn't matter because it is working. It's just not their style of thing. It's yeah. like if you go see a theatre show or a film, certain films will appeal to you, other films won't. Yeah. And I suppose in finding those three or four people whose opinions you're seeking before sending in a submission. Yeah it's probably important to find people who have a similar kind of taste to yourself. Is it's, it? No, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. You kind of send it out the, like one project in particular, just a couple of months ago, I sent to a particular director because, well, we'd worked together before, but I felt it suited his, his style of work and it was sort of outside my comfort zone. So, it suited me to give it to him and, and I gave it to my producer as well. And then, so it worked with that. But then for an, another project, I sent it to a different director who has a different style that I thought might suit the, the project. Do, do you know what I mean? So you don't pick the same three or four writer, readers all the time. You kind yeah. of try to mix it up, depending on what you're trying to get across. You I know the people who like certain stuff. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No. Um, how do you walk the line between asking for feedback and staying true to your own style? Well, I think you have to stay true to your own style unless you're uh, a writer for her um, on, on a show. Then you mean you have to follow what the style of the show is. And, you, you know, I'm not the creator of the show, so the creator is saying do this. But I think it's when it's your own show, you, you kind of have to... You can't bow down, but you can't be stupid either. So it's, it's just a question of 
reading the room, which is really hard at the moment because you can't read a so room. You're not in one. <laughs> you know, read, so read the Zoom and emails. <laughs> uh, you know, emails and Zooms. That it's just not the same. Like if you're in a room, you can even tell by the way a, a person is shifting. You're kind of saying, right, well, that's not going to go down well. So let's change. <laughs> you know, let's change it to something else. Um, but when you're doing the Zoom things, uh, it's it's different. But I'm I'm learning on Zoom quicker. There's a there's a you know keep it short. <laughs> it's the best thing to do on Zoom. I think one of the one of the things that is often said is to write what you know. Mm. Um, but looking down the list of your credits here, I'm wondering what you know or what you did know before you went on to it of the world of Call the Midwife. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even, I, I tell you what happened, right? Um, I needed a gig because I needed to pay me bills, right? I really did. And uh, I was working on EastEnders and it was killing me um, because I didn't really watch EastEnders. Now I got, I got the gig because I've been writing stuff for ages, so they kind of knew I'd get the deadlines. And it was enjoyable to do. It was kind of iconic characters and everything. And... Uh, a friend of mine who had worked with before on a show called The Clinic, which was done here years ago, uh, she was working on Call the Midwife. And I just said, well, look, if you're looking for any writers, don't forget about me. But it's usually female writers they use on that show. And they're usually English because it's Middle England. And she kind of got in touch with me about a week later and says, um, are you really interested in writing <laughs> Call the Midwife? I'd never watched Call the Midwife, okay. So I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, send over your stuff and I'll get it into your, into the producer. A really nice woman called Annie uh, Tricklebank. Fantastic woman, actually. And uh, meanwhile, get to know the show. So I watched seven series of uh, Call the Midwife in a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I fell in love with the series. I fell in love with the series. I fell in love with the characters, the warmth of it. But And it's so, like, I'm from... Like, I'm working class Dublin, Drimlet. You know, that's where I'm from. This is Middle England. This is the empire still exists. And uh, so trying to get into that headspace. But the funny thing I noticed, because I kind of watched it in block and I fell into the world, um, you got to know the language of the character. So when you were writing, you knew the I rhythm. Say something. I'm not saying it's Shakespeare, but you, you know when you've messed up a line in Shakespeare... Because the rhythm just isn't right. Mm. You know you've put in a word that's wrong in the back of your head. You just know it when you're, when you're actually... And it was actually the same. We called the midwife. You knew that's not... There's, a, there's something missing in that. There's a, the rhythm isn't right. And uh, yeah, so I started writing it. And um, it, was, it was actually a joy. It, was really, it really became a joy. Because I, I kind of fell in love with the series. And, and just to write for it. And it was lovely. It was lovely. And like um, had your say experiences coming through uh, Ross Roon, Fair City, Red Rock and EastEnders, did they impact your approach to that script or was it just a case of falling into the system that Call a Midwife use? Or like what can I say? The systems are very similar. Okay. The only thing is uh, like an error BBC is an error, you know. Uh, so it's, it's kind of and they, they like to like it's it's a one-off story so they kind of like to shoot it like a film um so i had uh the guy from quadrophenia uh phil daniels as who's a great actor he, he i found out he was going to be playing it was a, a pigeon fancier who who gets sick 
because of his pigeons. And uh, I got, I was writing for him and I knew very early on I was writing for him. And I thought, fuck, this iconic actor, I'm going to be writing for him. So it kind of, so you, you basically wrote like a mini film. Now you had little stories that you had to pick up for all the other characters and but it was mainly a little film for him, which was great. And so was he a kind of a, an, a character that appeared only in your episode? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. So yeah. you, you're using, you're having a mix of established characters. Yeah, and they would have their stories. And, and the, the trick is to make sure the main story bounces back uh, on the character's arcs. That's, that's, that's the hard bit to do, actually. Um, it wasn't too bad on that because... Uh, um, this woman, Marigold Joy, who was the story editor, um, I'd worked with before, and she's a like we went over the script was okay, but it still wasn't singing, and they're under an awful lot of pressure because they have to hit a certain standard all the time because of the type of show it is. So we went into the room and basically moved stuff around and said, "Do we really need that? Are we going too far with that?" We we played around with it for about a day, and I took all the notes back and kind of rearranged and wrote the script in a couple of days then. So that was great to do that. Um, would you have any advice, say, for anyone who's listening who thinks, yes, writing is something that I would like to get into, but I don't have any experience or I don't have anything, any scripts that have been produced yet for screen? Yeah. Well, one, it all depends what you want to get in. If you want to get into writing for screen, then write write, write a, a, a spec script. Say if you're a fan of Ross Naroon or you're a fan of uh, anything, any show, write a spec script for that with the characters. And so at least you have something to show somebody because the first thing a producer is going to say is, well, what have you written? And you're going to say nothing. Well, then what are you doing here? Um, and write your own scripts. And like uh, a spec script for, for a series that you want to get involved in is a good idea to do. Or if you've been, you have to have some sort of an original work. You have to have written some sort of script. Um, and, it's, and it's like everything. Like a script starts with a blank page. You know, and you, it, but it does. It starts with a blank page. And it's a question of you sitting down and writing it and, and, and trying to refine it. I mean, some courses are good. Some books are very good. Um, for people who have probably done a few scripts, I would recommend Into the Woods. You'd have to have done a few scripts before that by, by John York. But there's loads of... of script books that will kind of give you tools yeah now you don't rely on the tools um in in america and uh a few of us do it over here as well is we write what's called a vomit script which is basically i have this idea i just keep on writing 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 until i get to the end of it and um so you get all the energy out of the stuff uh and that's the that's the best way get that down and then get these tools from these books and say, oh yeah, maybe I need a midpoint there or I need an inciting incident here just to change things up a bit. And you can start forming your your script that way, you know. But I, you sort of use the principles to maybe fix potential yeah. problems in it rather than using it as a step-by-step yeah, step guide. I, I think an awful lot of people use it as a step-by-step step guide. And what happens is they, they lose their inner voice. Yeah. Because I, I've come across scripts that are structurally perfect but there's no heart in them. Um, so that's why the vomit script is a, I know it's a horrible expression. It's a bit like wet pubs. I hate wet pubs. <laughs> uh, 
I hate that expression. And uh, vomit script sounds terrible. But why are it, the pubs wet because all the writers are writing vomit scripts? <laughs> but it's 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 a really great way because it gets all your energy out on the page. Yeah. As when you're when you're looking back on it, then yeah, there's nobody writes it. No, nobody has ever written a first draft that's gone straight to script or straight to uh, production or screen that I know of. You're always going to be ending up writing about five or six or eight, ten drafts. And I suppose, like, in contrast to so many other disciplines within this business, uh, writing is something that you can do completely on your own. Yeah. Like, if you're an actor, you kind of need other people uh, maybe to act with you in a scene or whatever. It's it's a little bit more tricky to create some work that you can show people. If you're a director, again, you need to get a camera, get uh, lighting equipment, potentially get actors in and kind of work with them. Whereas as a writer, you can just sit down and like, yeah. the most important thing that you need is discipline. Yeah. It's the application of and the your butt cheeks to that seat. Yeah. As uh, there's a writer, a friend of mine, uh, Darach McAnumra, who I know, I know Darach, yeah. yeah. So he, what he says is, uh, don't just do something, sit there. As opposed to <laughs> don't just don't just sit there, do something. No, it's the, yeah, you reverse yeah. it. Don't just do something. As in, like when you're sitting down and you're writing a script, and it's kind of scary, or you're, you know, there's a party that wants to procrastinate. You're going to think, oh, I need to clean the kitchen hob. Yeah, yeah, I haven't done that in three months, or I need to rearrange my sock drawer or whatever. When in fact, what you should do is just sit down turn off the Wi-Fi on your laptop and make yourself write something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I like discipline is, is, is the main thing. Um, and no, no writer that I know of likes going to his computer first thing in the morning. It's, it's the weirdest thing, right? Because, well, one, you don't know what's going to come out, but you will do the coffee. You will empty the dishwasher or put the washing on or, you know, you will do everything. Um, Writers must have the cleanest houses in the world from the amount of hooven you do before you sit down and do your your computer work. But once you sit down, sometimes the whole you sit down at ten o'clock and suddenly it's five o'clock. Other other you know the day just goes because you fall fall into the world and you're you're typing away. Other days you can be there at ten o'clock, and it's five past, it's five hours later and it's only five past ten. Do you know? But um, and they're the ups and downs of it, but. Writers mightn't be always paid, but they're never unemployed. Is is my is my take on it? If you're not going to, if you're serious about writing, you really, really have to sit down and you have to put in the hours. And like Derek said, sometimes you're just staring and you're kind of going, oh, "What the fuck? Where am I going? Where am I going with this?" Um, but that's the nature of the beast. Do you find it a lonely process? No, no, I really don't, because all these characters are talking to you all the time. <laughs> it's really interesting. At the moment, Sean, I'm I'm doing something. I'm 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 writing this kind of. I spent an hour or two towards the end of the evening. <laughs> I started all right. I'll I'll try. What I started doing was I was going to come up with. I came up with this idea for a kind of a, a new take on Tales of the Unexpected because I always loved them as kids as a kid. So I said, right, I'll 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 do six kind of quirky little twists at the end. They'd be great. So I started writing the first one. And it's these all these characters. I I swear to God, Sean, they're actually writing. It. I'm now about I don't know sixty thousand words or something. <laughs> and it's these characters. I was there yesterday, and I was kind of where am I going next with this? And the characters are writing, it. like the car. I've never experienced it before, but the characters that are coming in are actually writing the script. 
it's it's the most bizarre. It's it's exhilarating. It's the most obviously somewhere in me subconscious something uh, rather dark subconscious judging by what's been written. But um, I find that amazing. I find that here I am. I've been writing for ages, and this the buzz, the buzz of of the buzz of the characters starting to talk to you, and the characters taking trying to take control of their destiny. Um, like years ago, I remember writing this thing, and it was supposed to start off with the father's funeral. And uh, the producers broadcast said, no, go, no, it was never made, like a lot of things. No, we need to know the family more. So I decided not to start at the funeral. But the idea was the funeral was going to be the inciting incident that kicked off the whole series. That father hung on in that series until episode five. No matter how much, I what I'm saying is no matter how much I tried to kill him, <laughs> he'd always come up with a way of getting out of the situation. And I said, you have to fucking die now. You have to die. You have to die. And he's going, no, I'm not dying yet. And so when that type of thing takes over, it's it's really exhilarating. It's mad. And it's funny because uh, a lot of my friends aren't in the business at all, which is actually a good thing. Um, but you, you'd say, well, what you do today? I said, oh, you'll never believe what happened to this guy. And then, and I'd be telling them, I said, it's just, and like, but you're writing it. No, no, you don't understand. He just went off there and he shouldn't have gone down. And he's going to go into the forest now and I don't know where he's going to go. So it's bizarre. It's, it's a bizarre, it's a, it's a stupid, stupid occupation. But I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. And um, thank you so much for giving us such a uh, great insight into it today. Yeah, it sounds like you need a good mixture of hard work and a little sprinkle of madness. Huge sprinkle of madness. Paul Walker, thanks a million. Thanks, Sean. is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.